Jam-packed to the rafters. Let's go up to our ring announcer. The following podcast is scheduled for one episode. It's Acid Wash Memories, a retro pop culture celebration. Outside, couldn't see those Acid Wash Memories. And now your hosts, Joe Murata and Michael Quinn. Episode number 50 of Acid Wash Memories, a retro pop culture celebration. Today, we are going to romp you through the world of retro pop culture with wrestling. My name is Joe Murata, alongside, as always, Michael Quinn. How you doing there, Michael? Howdy doody. Well, we have made it to number 50. Can you believe that? Unbelievable. Thank you guys so much for being with us here for Monday, December the 18th, 2023. We hope you're having a good day out there. We hope you start your week off right. Because we're going to romp the folks through some retro wrestling, Quinn. Romp. We're going to yeah. romp. We haven't talked about wrestling uh, much at, at all, really, on this show. What's that? Wrestling. <laughs> I don't know that we ever will again. Yeah. Uh, but we do thank you guys for being with us here. If you're not interested in wrestling, well, we do have 49 other episodes available. Where, Michael Quinn? In the archives. In the archives. And folks, we want to also remind you, whether you're a first-timer or a long-timer, to follow us on Twitter at AWM Podcast. That's A. WM Podcast on Twitter. And Quinn, we also have, I understand, a Facebook group. Is that right? Over at facebook.com slash feet. Um, there's a search bar over there to okay. find us. And you type in acid, wash, memory, bing, bang, boom, tubes, gork, kaflui. Hit the join button and you're in. We're asking you to agree to one rule and one rule only when you hit the join group button, which is don't be what, Quinn? A dunderhead. Don't be a dunderhead. And what we mean by that is... Listen, we know you have different opinions about whether it's old wrestling or old anything, right? Everyone's old got shoes, opinions. Old like Old feet. Old spice. Yeah. Uh, all we're asking you to do is bring your opinions, bring your memories, bring your questions, but be nice to each other. And you know what? I'm happy to say that as long as this group has been in existence, our fans over there have been nice to each other. There hasn't been too many controversies that created cash or anything No, like nothing that. like that, Quinn. Uh, I would say it's home crap home, would you? Yeah, home crap home. That's what we call it. So thank you guys so much for being with us here as we're going to talk about wrestling here for episode number 50. Quinn... For a period of time in the 80s and into the 90s, it was nearly impossible to avoid hearing about wrestling. Even it was uh, ubiquitous, would you say? <laughs> good, very good, Quinn. <laughs> See, 50 episodes 50 in, episodes I, I know in. where you're going. You're picking it up. Yo, Hulkamaniacs, MTV's got a brand new show, The Big <laughs> Show. Even those that had no interest in it, at least, like, I feel like I was born, I was born in 85, born in 86. I came of cognizance knowing who Hulk Hogan was. Yeah, he was just a, a guy with yellow underwear, and he would beat right. people up, and he was strong and stuff. Right. Anything less would be uncivilized. On the level of, like, as a kid, a Mickey Mouse or a Bugs Bunny, it's like, oh, that's Hulk Hogan. That's Batman, you know? He's very recognizable. Yeah, very. He was, he was in the action figure rotation. Like, he was just a guy that was strong. Yeah, even if he didn't watch wrestling, which I yeah. didn't yet, you know, when I first knew of him. He was in the conversation of who could beat Superman, that kind of thing. Like, right, like Hulk Hogan or Superman. Yeah. <laughs> Who do you think you are? That's Hulk Hogan! You know, action figures, you mentioned them, all kinds of merchandise, video games are flooding the market. Some wrestlers, like Hulk Hogan, were household names. And in the span of just a few years in the 80s, the whole, you know, you know it's fake, right? That whole thing became a pop mm -hmm. culture phenomenon. 
And really, to many people, the WWF, it meant wrestling, right? Yeah. WWF but, was synonymous with wrestling. It was kind of like how like Nintendo was video games, yeah. or before that, Atari, Atari was video games. Yeah, Absolutely, Quinn. Kids looked up to the heroes, they hated the villains, and you know what's funny? The weekly programming, Saturday syndicated programming... How nicely did that fit alongside like Saturday morning cartoons and all that yeah, stuff? Yeah, it was always the bookend at the end of the cartoons, right? right? It was like, oh, and now we're going to go to real live action yeah. Um, superheroes. Yeah, and this brand of uh, wrestling really did take the pop culture zeitgeist by storm, oh, I guess. the geist was taken. There was so much geist was taken. Shut up. And by the early 90s, though, that once dominant form of entertainment... It fell back into its comfortable niche uh, mm-hmm. where it usually is. But only for a short time. <laughs> for a short time, and maybe that'll be episode 100. Yeah, and monkeys might fly out of my butt. But we're going to talk about how, we're going to talk about why, and we're going to talk, most importantly, what was the wrestling boom of the 80s. Quinn, to start here, what is wrestling? Wrestling. Well, it's when two people don the underpants or okay. the tights. Sometimes it's a long tight. Could it be, could be uh, a long tight. They attempt to pin each other. With, yeah, you know, when, you, when you go on top of the guy and his shoulders are down for the one, two, and the three. Right. And that's that's wrestling. That's wrestling. There you go. The first thing a wrestler learns is how to fall properly. By the way, the, the type of wrestling we're discussing is what kind? Professional wrestling. Right. Professional that wrestling. style. Yeah, of, that style. Of, yeah. <laughs> Not catches, catch can. No, no catch-up cans yeah. or anything like that. Now, obviously, you guys, uh, some of you probably are very big wrestling fans. Some of you maybe did watch during this boom period. We want to hear from all of you, and I just want to disclaim this real quick. Even though Quinn and I never talk about wrestling, and I don't know when we ever will again, This is ever. Like probably the first time, I think, we've ever talked about wrestling you on a me? podcast. Yes, definitely. Yeah. On a podcast, especially. Yeah. We are going to keep this broad because we probably do have a lot of non-wrestling fans here. Or again, fans that just kind of watched a little bit in the... They know Hulk Hogan, you know. Yeah, this is not for the hardcore no. wrestling. This is more just like a brief, this is what it is. Right. There is, by the way, out there, if you listen to other podcasts, there is this show called Our Vantage Point Retro Wrestling I've Podcast. I've heard it like somewhere. Yeah, I've never like, listened to it. Yeah, like it, it was in my like pop culture boards or something okay i got you yeah uh, so our vantage point retro wrestling podcast from what i understand anyway i think that they covered or still cover i'm not really sure uh, wrestling in detail from this era and beyond the so, wrestling yeah. the wrestling but we're going to talk about it in a broad ass wash memory sense so let's start with wrestling so all the way back thousands of thousand years ago this is mm. where wrestling comes right. from ancient greece you know greco-roman the cave paintings yeah featuring rick flair yeah rick flair was on there <laughs> he's it was on there unbelievable really and now i'm not being facetious when i say that plato socrates aristotle and all those other people they referenced wrestling grappling you know mm-hmm. in their writings now that was before they went in the bill and ted time machine that right? was way before that yeah yeah ha, ha, ha. the wrestling that we're talking about back then is not sports entertainment no right? we're talking about an actual sport yeah, no boring. entertainment. No, it's very boring. It's really boring. <laughs> Nobody really give a shit. Right. It's like, oh, that's neat. And that continued on through the Middle Ages, that neat thing. And in North America, the settlers from England, you ever hear of them? Oh, when yeah, they came them. Over? The, yeah. Uh, Mayflower or the, something the, like that? The, over at uh, Plymouth Rock. Yeah. The Plymouth Rock Wrestling Arena. <laughs> Plymouth Rock and Wrestling yeah. Action. Stop! They introduced wrestling to North America, and it was also popular with the Native Americans that were here. It has been an Olympic event, again, amateur, real wrestling, uh, in the modern Olympic Games since 1904. Since the beginning of the modern Olympics. The modern Olympics, but it was post-Civil War that the wrestling we know today slowly but surely evolved. Right. World champion Abraham Lincoln. Well, that is a, he, he was a wrestler. Yeah. He actually was. That's the one they always think of, <laughs> yeah. though, right? It's like, wow, the president and the wrestling champion of the 
world. He did the, it all. I mean, Hulk should have just run for president if Abraham Lincoln can do it. I thought Hulk Hogan did say he was running for president back he in 98. He probably did at some point. In 98, didn't he? I, I actually won the presidential electron, but uh, I declined to. I, uh, I said, no way, brother. <laughs> we have to talk about carnivals. Uh, right now, yeah, <laughs> urgently. No, but you know, the, the you guys know what a carnival is, right? We don't, Quinn, what is a carnival? No, I'm just kidding. Um, carnies, carnies. In the late 1800s, wrestling was brought to the carnival circuit, and where it belongs. <laughs> <laughs> one of the attractions was, hey, try to defeat our champion wrestler. You yeah, know, just people out of the crowd, <laughs> right? Bobo Skiwat and Totten would uh, yeah. take on the champion res- wrestler, right? And to entice people, what they would do, these carnies that would run this attraction, is they would first have staged matches that showed that, oh no, they're champions beatable. Yeah, you know, they'd have some clown, you know, not a literal clown probably, but they'd have a clown, some fat guy, some fat guy beat quote-unquote, their champion. And then the people from the crowd would show up, and those people were referred to as marks. Marks, bro. Because wow. they're, you know, they are they got a mark on their chest. It's definitely a hustle. It is. It's, give, fixed, give me, it's a me, fixed competition. Give me 50 cents, and I'll let you try to beat the champ. Right. Step right up, sonny. Yeah. You know, and then some mustachioed gentleman wants probably, to impress his girlfriend. Probably a nickel back then. I mean, these prices. <laughs> a nickel, yeah, the inflation and, and all that. There's no way it was even 50 cents. That's a lot. That, you could buy a house with that back yeah. then, from what I understand. Anyway, it's here where Carney speak developed. <laughs> Kiss Arnie. The big Carney speak term for... You know, everyone says fake, right? You know, it's yeah. fake, but is kayfabe. Yeah, kayfabe. You ever hear of that? Also a director. Remember director of the Slammies or something? Yeah, kayfabe? he was a director at one time. And he's also been known as kayfob in, in certain <laughs> yes. locations in the country. My apartment with one of my old roommates, yeah. yes. Um, now, <laughs> I don't know why. I guess because Broccoli Rob, R-A-B-E. <laughs> this guy was convinced it was called kayfob. Kayfob. So what that means, though, it's what they think is it's like a pig Latin corruption of fake. Uh-huh. Of the word fake. It means that you have a character. Mm-hmm. You know how, like, in movies, Quinn? I've heard of them. Like, you, you know Sylvester Stallone? Yeah, Like, him? you know he's not really Rocky, right? Really? It's unbelievable. <laughs> he's Rambo, actually. Shut up! So, for him to, like, portray Rocky outside of the movie, like, if he was walking down the street as Rocky, he would be kayfabing, right? Like, hey, yo, Adrian, or whatever, so right? So, actually, I feel... My house stinks. I, I gotta say something, though. Go I ahead. mean, I feel that gives a little extra, like talent to these guys no like the fact that like so. they like live the character like and actually like i'll fight real people who are not in character right well that's the thing when and this kayfabe does persist to this day although in a much reduced term the uh, fans don't take on the the uh, wrestlers no anymore. that doesn't happen anymore but in terms of faking it you know uh and faking it not in a derogatory sense but in terms of being your character in front of people mm-hmm. is what kayfabe is and as the 20th century dawned uh, there were already whispers about wrestling uh, being staged because of this carny stuff. Yes, <laughs> already by the 20th century. I want to read you. I feel it. I feel it's weird that people cared. <laughs> like it's like really this carny shit. Like it's important. Well, or I, anything. Guess, I guess Quinn, because if you were stacking it up at the burgeoning sports scene of the <laughs> early 20th mm-hmm. century, yeah, you know, you had baseball already, and what else was there? There was stuff. Oh, great fucking explanation. The National Police Gazette. Had a quote here from... They Jul- would know, because they, they, they got to arrest these fakes. That's right, those frauds. July 22nd, 1905. Here's their quote. American wrestlers are notorious for the amount of faking they do. It is because of this fact that suspicion attaches to so many bouts that the game is not popular here. Nine out of ten bouts, it has been said, 
our prearranged affairs. Wow, only 90%. I thought it was 100. <laughs> no, 9 out of 10, not bad. Yeah. And it would surprise no one if the ratio of fixed matches to honest ones was really so high. So, uh, all right, if this is 1905, this is pre-Titanic. Here's the thing with that is the fact that they were already talking about it in 1905. The people that came along the age was like, you know, it's fake. It's like, bro, this has been, like, everyone's known this for, like, 75 years. Right. Like, what are you, new? With, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Now, because we're going to skip around here, but we're also doing a history before we get to the 80s wrestling boom, which is what we're focusing on. But let me ask you, Quinn, what do you say to that? Because that is still, to this day, all that fake fighting shit. What is your... Your casual response to that. I never really cared because at the end of the day, it was entertainment. Yeah. I think the reason people get so caught up on that, I'm talking about the wrestling detractors that detracted mm-hmm. for being fake, is because it's portraying a real sport. No? Kind of. Like, no one no one says, oh, you know that movie's fake, right? Because you be- know that it's a the movie. The best description of it, it's a television show about wrestling. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, yeah, it's not really like wrestling. It's a TV show about wrestling as like the subject matter. Truthfully, Quinn, you know, Mary Tyler Moore said it best. It's terrific. It's the best of uh, athletics and theater. I've never seen anything so exciting. One thing you have to respect about it is that it's people doing essentially death-defying stunts on a weekly basis on live television. Even things that look basic. You could break your neck like on most of this shit. You could. Here's the thing, right? Let's say I'm raking leaves. Uh-huh. This sounds stupid, right? And I blow out my knee. I right. tear my ACL. Yeah, that's good. Here's a fucking rake. Now, there's a probably a low po- probability of that, mm-hmm. but that would lay me up for a really long time, Yeah, right? And some of these guys, you have to remember, too, a lot of the, the, the pros, the people who have been doing this a while, 35, 40, or 45 right. years old, right? and they look like muscle men, and they're doing things that are... The body at that age is not supposed to be doing that. No, it, it isn't. And it's not supposed to be jumping off ladders and shit. It's like, not. And you think about the, I'm raking leaves and I tear my ASO, which right. never happened, and right, mm-hmm. <laughs> hopefully never happens. But what about doing this on a nightly basis or mm-hmm. you know three, four times a week? How much greater is your chance of injury? A lot. So, and, and you look at the, the retired wrestlers, a lot of them... Got to get the hip replaced. Yeah. Got to get a, a like a, a kneecap replacement yeah, or like seriously. all these like weird like shoulder stuff. Like it, it's they're all fucked up just from doing this. I do want to be clear that we uh, I have tremendous respect for the athleticism and the dedication that goes into doing this, mm-hmm. especially back in the eighties. Was it a grind? Oh my mm-hmm. god, uh, with the schedule and everything. So I just wanted to get that out up front. That you know, I think calling it fake is. If I were in the business, I would be insulted by that because of the amount of risk that you take and the mm-hmm. trust you have to have for your opponent. As Dr. D. David Schultz once said, "What open hand slap, is that fake? <laughs> like, <laughs> Does that feel fake? Does that feel fake? I think this is fake. You think it's fake? What's that? Is that fake? Huh? What the hell's wrong with you? That's open hand slap, huh? So I just wanted to be clear about that. But let's go back to the history here. So during this period of time in the early 20th century, the combatants that would wrestle, they were skilled amateur wrestler. Like, they could kick your ass, right? With right. Hook, hooking, they used to call it, you yeah. know? Like, Stu Hart was a, a hooker. Hey. Not, not that kind. Hey, red light district. No, not that kind. Mm-hmm. But, like, you know, you, you make your eyes pop out and all Luthes that. Luthes and Luthes, shit like that. And yeah. we're going to mention some of these guys. They were true, real tough guys that could really stretch you out. But the outcomes of the matches is what became predetermined. But I got to tell you, 
in the early 20th century, wrestling was popular. Uh, one of them was the Russian immigrant George Hackenschmidt. Oh, him. He was a undefeated uh, champion wrestler, won the world title in 1905, and mm-hmm. challenged Frank, or was challenged by Frank Gotch, a protege Quinn of an even earlier big name. Martin Farmer Burns. Oh, yeah, Farmer Burns. Remember Farmer Burns? Very notable. Well, I'm not joking Hall either. This Farmer Burns dude is like, it sounds like a stupid name, but he was like a pioneer in this shit. <laughs> and he was a farmer, and he knew how to do this, <laughs> I'm right? I'm telling you, man. So, Gotch Hackenschmidt was essentially, for that time, a dream match. It happened in 1908. 10,000 fans in Chicago. And after two hours... George Hackenschmidt submitted to a toehold, and then he refused to return for the second fall. Uh, let's talk Good about. Good lord, they didn't even get to the first fall in two hours. <laughs> first fall was two Sounds hours. Sounds like my nightmare. <laughs> now let's be let's be honest here. Back then, the wrestling that we're talking about is not jumping off the top turnbuckles, rolling out to get a chair. It's you're putting holds on, and you're trying to avoid getting it's people sitting in submitted. like submissions and hoping they don't break their leg, and, and mainly trying to avoid being even put in a hole to begin with. Right, you know what yeah. I mean? Like that was it was more of like a like a an endurance thing. Yeah, like it's just like how long can these two? Which guy's going to survive the longest? Exactly. And in this case, it was uh, Frank Gotch because George Hackenschmidt refused to return. Now I'm bringing all this up for a reason. Essentially, there was a lot of speculation at the time about even if this was real or not, Hmm. or if it was all legitimate, and neither would be surprising. However, it led to a big rematch in 1911, still pre-Titanic, at the (laughs) brand new and sold out Comiskey Park in Chicago. Yes, it was new once. God, that place. Comiskey, remember Comiskey? Doesn't even exist anymore. 30,000 fans were on hand, and that's why I wanted to talk about this rivalry to start here. Although wrestling was known as being popular in the 80s, and although certain companies like World Wrestling Entertainment would have you believe that Vince McMahon was the one to take it yeah, out of the Yeah, he invented smoke. wrestling, didn't he? <laughs> well, he took it out of the smoky yeah. bars. Oh, remember? okay, I see. That's where it was. I see. It had several waves of popularity, even in these United States. Now, in this rematch, it didn't actually go that well. Uh, Hackenschmidt was injured going into it. The public was all pissy about it. Gotch won it rather easily, and there were accusations, Quinn, that maybe George Hackenschmidt threw the match or that Gotch was supposed to cooperate with him and didn't. However, since this was over 100 years ago, there is no way to know for sure. Yeah. It's just speculation on everyone's part, okay? I, I always thought with these old timers that they knew it was fake, but they were just like better at faking it or something because people like believed it. Well, so here's the thing, right? Even when you have these legitimate wrestlers mm-hmm. and you still have to a degree you have that to this day, if they know they could beat the other guy, what do you think would motivate them not to? What would what would motivate them money. to? Money. There you go. What's the point of this whole business, Quinn? To make money. It's a business, right? Like if I if I lose but I get like a million dollars to lose, right. like I'm going to lose. Right. Like, who gives a shit? I have a million dollars now. That is generally I think where a lot of this is, you know, right. if it's time we're talking about as we get into the 20s is yeah, I could kick that guy's ass, but you're going to pay me to how much to to not? Yeah. Okay. It makes sense to me. Um, I, I wonder how much uh, La Cosa Nostra was involved in any of this, too. I, I've never heard of that, Quinn. Yeah. I don't know what that is. Just, um, just saying. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this seems like ripe for that. It, it does, does especially not, this time, yeah. pre-depression. Throughout the 1920s, 
the style was more of that catch wrestling style, which is a real amateur wrestling style, a very realistic. Like I said, we're not talking about stomping while you punch. You know why? Because mm-hmm. there was no punching in wrestling. Right. One of the things only you, open hand slap. Yes, and even that I think was, if not illegal, frowned upon. upon. Yeah, exactly. not, not, not a good thing to do. Exactly. But it was around this time in the twenties that the. Gold Dust Trio emerged. Oh, goodness. Now, the Gold Dust Trio was a... They have nothing to do with Gold Dust the wrestler, do No, they? nothing at all. Uh, a group of three men, wrestler Ed Strangler Lewis, okay. manager Billy Sandow, and promoter Tootsmont. Toot toot. Yes. So uh, what, what are these guys? They, they're like businessmen? Yeah. So this this Gold Dust Trio, right? Mm-hmm. They decided to, to form together and start to recruit wrestlers to join their first ever, really, wrestling promotion, and they called it the Slam Bang Western style of wrestling. What a name. Slam Bang. Wow. Pretty good, right? So what they would do is they get, hey, join join up with us. You'll make some money. We're going to travel around, yep. right? That's how they would organize the picking of who's going to win and lose. Exactly, because now we're talking about just making money, right? right. We're making this a business. And we're just it, a traveling band, essentially. It, it really, yes, yeah. or a circus or yeah. something, right? Whatever, whatever analogy you want to pick. And this is the style where you started to see body slams, mm-hmm. punches, even signature or finishing moves. Well, if we all understand that this isn't a contest, now we can start screwing around, right? Yeah. We can start doing d- dumb shit to each other. And already at this time, if even though the matches were predetermined and all that, and they were working together, a lot of the public still didn't know that, and th- those that did either outright said it or didn't care. It's still real to me, damn it! By the 1930s, is when we started to see personas and characters uh, get introduced. You, you know, your Native American characters, your <laughs> cowboy character. I want to be a cowboy. Those characters. Monster. Remember the French angel? You've heard of the yeah. French angel, right? Suddenly there was like comic book characters yes. and stuff in this. And what also started to become really prevalent in the 1930s, Quinn, was uh, talkies. Oh, talkies. Right? right? Talking, the talking pictures. pictures, as yes. we talked about, right? So this is an early version. Normally, we're talking post-World War II when things started to mm-hmm. change. But this version here, post-Depression, you know, as we get pre-World War II, uh, movies are becoming commonplace with sound. And the various characters that could be seen that, you know, would really capture the imagination in film were now being transferred into the wrestling world with all these different types Suddenly of Suddenly, people personas. wanted to hear the wrestlers talk. Exactly. This is the tale of a cowboy who tired of twirling a rope on the range and became a grunt and groan expert on the mat instead. But he came to grips with a fiery Irishman who resisted his attempts at using him for a rope. And the result is fearful and wonderful to behold, as you'll see after they're introduced. And it was around this same time that the idea was firmly established of, it's not just two wrestlers in there. We have to have a good guy. Mm-hmm. And a bad guy, right? right? And this is where we get these terms. Um, the, the the term he, the wrestling term is heels, right? For bad guys, right? The wrestling term is heels. Heel is already a word, but it wasn't. It's not commonly like you don't hear a lot of people walking around saying like, "Oh, that guy's a heel." Yeah, but back in the like twenties and thirties, the vernacular of what a heel. I know that that was like I've heard it in old movies. Like yeah. it's not like a wrestling term as much as it's just for like a jerk or something. Yeah, it it still is, but yeah. no one really says it outside of a wrestling context. Yeah, but I guess it's just when the term was developed in wrestling, maybe heel was in the common ven- vernacular. Exactly. You know, kindly speak English and drop the vernacular. Vernacular? That's a doy 
And a good guy, Quinn, is known as a baby face, correct? Right. Now, that seems like... That's carny, right? That's carny term stuff. Like, that's not... That's not just vernacular stuff like heel, right? It's like where it's just, that's something people say. I think I agree with you. Uh, a baby face, obviously, because, you know, he's clean cut and he's good and he's nice, mm-hmm. right? And a heel is a bad guy and he'll cheat and he'll he'll use that new body slam if you're not careful. Yeah. It's tough. It might be illegal in some territories. <laughs> Imagine. Yeah. That body slam's illegal here we, in Oregon. We don't, we don't, not around, not, the athletic committee is not okay with that we in can't, this area. We can't endorse this here, folks. Yeah. Wrestling basic number one, the body slam. By the start of the 1940s, it became more common. Instead of recruiting amateur wrestlers, just recruit people that had charisma, regardless mm-hmm. if they had a real wrestling background. You can started. teach them how to do the holds and things. Right. We can teach them how to stomp when they punch, right? Yeah. And in 1948, the modern National Wrestling Alliance was formed, uh, which is, I mean, Quinn, the best way to sum it up, it's a loose partnership, right? Of like various regionals. It's kind of like an agreement. I almost think of it like as price fixing. But let me put it to you this, like how it is. I've never thought of that, so I'd like Essen- to hear this. Essentially, right? It's, yes. it's a bunch of independently owned wrestling companies come together and say, you get that territory and you get that territory, but the agreement is you get that territory, but you're not allowed to cross into the other guy's territory. Correct. Right? Essentially, I guess like as a carrot on a stick, because you're part of this agreement, the recognized world champion will come to your area like a, a once or twice a year yep. to like up your like up your crowd. Business. Yeah, exactly. And that really was what it was. Each uh, company would operate out of a certain area and they would work together as best as wrestling promoters can work together, you know? Right. And we're not, again, we're not going to get into all the finer details of who was in what territory for the most part. Well, you had Jim Crockett uh, in the Carolinas. You had Don Owen in Portland, Fritz von Erich in Dallas. And, uh, you had kiss my ass on this stupid, sorry excuse for a wrestling podcast. You know, I got to say the, the whole arrangement, Yes, <laughs> I hate to bring this up again, but it's very, uh, five families mafia. Yeah, 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 it, very like, similar to that, yeah, it, whatever it, that is. Yeah. But my point is, is wrestling business is somewhat seedy. Is it not? The, no! fact, the fact that the fact that this arrangement even exists is kind of weird on its face. Like, if you just look at it from, like, a business, it's it's, kind of strange that they're all in agreement that we won't go after your uh, territory if you don't come after ours. Yeah, and that's how you get yourself shot, I guess, (laughs) apparently. Once again, what's the common goal, Michael? Money. Money. That's exactly Mm -hmm. why. Uh, So, you mentioned a world champion. So, by 1949 and throughout most of the 50s and 60s, the world champion of the National Wrestling Alliance was a straight-shooting, legitimate wrestler, a hooker, a shooter, and a gentleman by the name of Luthez. Mm. Since uh, winning the Alliance Heavyweight World Championship, Lou has defended his title in the neighborhood of, I think this is the 165th time. Although he was the champion, probably the best remembered and most influential wrestler of the Luthez era, and in the public's eye anyway, recognizable, was a, a man named George Wagner. Yes, Gorgeous George. Yes. This guy, Gorgeous George, is one of the toughest in the business, too, at the same time. He had been wrestling uh, in the 30s with no real fanfare under the name George Wagner, but by the early 40s, he started doing something very new, Quinn. He wore velvet robes to the right. ring. So the whole concept, right, is that he's effeminate, right? Yes. They see an effeminate man, they're like, 
let's go. What is beat, that guy? Let's go beat him up. Let's or beat something. his butt. Yeah, let's go kick his ass or something, right? Well, because he went ridiculous with it for the time. He right. dyed his hair platinum blonde, right? Like the starlets and the pinups. Well, like Marilyn right. Monroe just to, goes before her. Look, he's effeminate, right? Yes. It's like it's really just about like what? How many like layers of shit can we add to this to make him more offensive, right? To like the manly <laughs> men in the crowd, right? He had bobby pins, but he called them, of course, Georgie pins, right? Golden Georgie pins. And then he even came out to music. He came out to Pomp and Circumstance with a red carpet rolled out for him some of the time. Didn't he have, didn't he have a valet? Like, I mean, like a butler kind of valet. Oh, you know what? He did have a butler. Yeah. He had like, a butler. Like, yeah, that kind of thing. And he would spray Chanel number no. five. Yeah. The idea now is nothing, right? It, right. it wouldn't even raise an eyebrow, probably. But back then, nobody was doing anything like Nobody this. was, right? He truly was the first real character. Right. True character character in wrestling to transcend wrestling. Uh, because, Quinn, as the 40s became the 50s, another interesting piece of technology emerged. What do you think it was? Television. Television. And, so, and this guy, I want to say, is like one of the first that was like captured on television because I only know that because a lot of the footage was seen later, like in the VHS days when they could redistribute it. Yep. And it, they were showing how like how this early this guy was doing this stuff. Right. I mean, the 50s is really early. Yeah. If you think about how modern he was in a lot of ways. And with television... You had stations, mm -hmm. and these stations need to fill up their lineups. Mm -hmm. And wrestling was quickly a fixture on all sorts of local stations. It was cheap. Exactly. What do you need? A, a camera or two? Yeah, and, and a ring. And a microphone. Mm -hmm. you, that's it. Think about how, and a guy to talk. Like, like yeah. an announcer of some kind, right? Very beautiful cerise map. You notice to the left, of course, is the, the perfume sprayer and the tray. The robe that Gorgeous George is wearing tonight is really one of the most beautiful ones we've seen. So in that black and white world of TV, Gorgeous George was colorful, and he quickly became the hottest name in wrestling. He penetrated the pop culture, probably the first to do so since maybe Frank Gotch here right. in the United States, and that's a generation or two earlier. So George was like on par in terms of recognizability on TV with someone like Milton Berle. Yeah, Milton Berle. Seriously, in terms of, you know, this is new. TV is new, so when people got it, they would watch it, and they'd see what's on. So to see this guy every week on your television, of course you're going to know who he is. You right. know what I mean? Even if you're, you've never even watched wrestling in your life until that point, you're going to know who Gorgeous George was. And he was one of the highest paid athletes in the world in Holy the 1950s. Moly. And during the same time, the 50s, wrestling was popular in a way it hadn't been. On TV... On a national stage, including in prime time in 1955, right? Mm. And in the pop culture post-war zeitgeist, right? Mm -hmm. People just kind of knew what wrestling, including the Dumont Network. This is the Dumont Television Network. However, it didn't last long. And ratings began to decline in the late 1950s. And Gorgeous George retired in 1962. And throughout the 60s... Wrestling, again, returned to, I guess, the more regionalized niche audience. I would say from the 60s to the 70s is like a weird dark age. They're on TV, sort of. That they're like, on TV. Yeah. They don't have the big name. I think that that's a good way to put it. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm saying this to the best of my ability. There is such a thing as maybe wrestling fans that don't think outside of wrestling fans sometimes. Yeah. Meaning, like, 
whatever you think, if you're a hardcore wrestling fan about the wrestlers of the 60s and 70s and the 80s, it wasn't in the pop culture limelight like the 80s like the, the 80s 50s. or the 50s is yeah. all I'm trying yes there were big crowds they were wrestling fans going to watch it of mm-hmm. course right it had it it had its audience but it wasn't a mainstream audience that's what we're trying to say yes and small local stations would have their local syndicated shows cheap filler you yeah. know in the 60s and that's again it's not to say that there weren't like packed arenas in certain right, locations right. and rabid fans for, for wrestling like the garden or like memphis or something like that or right? dallas right or dallas or wherever across the country but these were microcosms in comparison to what gorgeous george was doing right, right? L- listen none of these guys in the 60s were as popular as willie mays or mickey mantle for right. example and, and maybe i'm wrong about that but i don't mm-hmm. know you can tell me uh in the nwa just to kind of button them up for a little bit luthes eventually gave way to a guy named gene kaniski dory funk jr jack briscoe harley race and by the 80s a young kid from minneapolis named rick flair uh richard richard flair, flair. <laughs> yes yeah. cave painting himself yeah. but within the nwa there was a man named vincent jess mcmahon right and he uh decided he was going to withdraw from the national wrestling alliance in 1962 okay he had so much power that he was able to do this, right? He was able to because right. what he did is he operated the Worldwide Wrestling Federation out of the New York metropolitan Market. area in Washington, D.C. Correct. Hi there, fans. Ray Morgan welcome you back for the next session of your heavyweight wrestling from Washington. They were the Northeast Territory of the NWA. And they were the most profitable. They, which, yeah, which for, meant they didn't really need this little agreement here. Well, that's the thing. They they thought, you know, we can do this on our own. Yeah. That's pretty much what it was. We'll still stick in our region, but we don't we don't need their world champion to come along. Right. Like, we're gonna we, have our own. We can we can just have our own because we're the biggest. And Vince J. McMahon, his dad, Jess McMahon, was a successful boxing promoter prior mm-hmm. to him. So this is in the family. So in nineteen sixty three, the WWF WWF did break away. And they used the Nature Boy Buddy Rogers as its champion. Right. Okay. So, And that was part of the dispute, right? Is yes. they, they felt, we're New York. We should be able to pick the champion because this yeah. is the biggest region, the most popular yeah. and the most profitable. Why the fuck are we like letting whoever the whoever, fuck? Whoever, yeah. Like, we should pick the champion. Greensboro right? or whatever, yeah. So Buddy Rogers became the first champion of the Worldwide Wrestling Federation and promptly lost the title to Italian immigrant Bruno Sammartino in 1963. He tried to make his way to the dressing room, but I chased him. I was fascinated. I grabbed him, and I threw him back into that ring. He was nothing but a bloody mess, just like I told the fans, I'm going to annihilate this creep. Just if you look at the two names, right? Nature Boy Buddy Rogers, he seems like this like flamboyant and like an obvious choice versus the immigrant, the like, underdog, local, like... Cosa Nostra type uh, of yeah, thing. Bruno, Bruno San Martino. But the thing was is that within that region... Bruno San Martino packed the houses. Like, he was yes. super popular. 63, he won the title. He held it for eight straight years uh, mm-hmm. until 1971. He was a business in and of himself. He was an entity. And yeah. now, again, he was popular wildly within the wrestling circles. I, again, I don't know enough to tell you at the time if you would have known who he was if you weren't a wrestling fan. Like, I know Bruno himself in interviews has said he did have celebrity exposure, for example. Didn't like, like Sinatra I think, like yeah, him or there's something? Like Sinat- there's pictures of him with like Sinatra yeah. and other celebrities. But again... That doesn't mean what, that much. Well, the other thing is also is like if you're in the New York area, there's plenty of celebrities and they're just 
in the local area and they're like, oh, that's the wrestling champion. I want to hang out with him right, or whatever, right? Yeah. It's like, because he's just there. It's like your local NASCAR champion. Right, and, <laughs> and New York back then, it was Sorry. still like a television center. Yes. So there was celebrities lurking around to know who the fuck Bruno San Martino was. That's a like, good point. Yeah, that's a good point. So yeah, outside of like a few appearances here and there, I don't think that wrestling was something that every kid was watching in the 60s and 70s. It, Like we said, it absolutely had its fans. And it had kid fans, too. And it it had, had kid fans. Children were did like wrestling, but it wasn't like uh, Mickey Mantle or anything. Right, or like, Davy Crockett or something, you know, mm-hmm. they were watching or whatever. Roy Rogers, not the uh-huh. restaurant. Good restaurant. Not as good as Wendy's. Our hamburgers are fresh, you know. You hear me? Fresh! But the phenomenon was gone by the 60s and 70s. And in in the 70s, the WWF returned to the NWA, and they actually became its Northeastern promotion again. But they still maintained their distinct TV persona. Their their own champion. Yeah, their own champion. Right. They would stage, like, dream matches of their champion fighting... The, the, NWA the, 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 champion. the NWA champion sure. and things like that. Uh, as we mentioned, Bruno held the title until 1971. He uh, was replaced as the banner champion for several years by Pedro Morales from Puerto Rico, who did okay, not as great as Bruno did in terms mm-hmm. of business, and so much so that they gave it back to Bruno San Martino. They him to come back. Yeah, for a few more years uh, until 1977. But it's important again to note, Wrestling fans are familiar with all these ups and downs in the 70s, right? Right. Jack Briscoe, Harley Race, right? Mm-hmm. All these guys. They know the characters, the angles, how many people attended this and that, but it wasn't a national brand in the USA, you know? But, it, but we start to see some bright, bright light do. potential soon, right? And I think the next champion is probably one that's like, okay, this is a pass forward. Superstar Billy Graham? Yes. He, he, we need to mention Superstar Billy Graham briefly right. here. And that's because Billy Graham was charismatic bodybuilder type with blonde hair, and he was a he bad wore guy. Tie-dye, and he wore tie dye, which was popular in the 60s and 70s. And he had a very colorful way of speaking. And he fit the like times. Like he was, he, the was, late re- 70s. he was like relevant, the style, right. like the style of what he was. Yes. I'm a boon, I'm a terror, but nevertheless, there's pandemonium tonight. There's excitement. Look at the people's faces. Look at the people's expressions. Can you feel it? Look at you. You're excited because I am the champion, the worldwide wrestling federation champion. How can I retain this belt? Why am I still a champion after months and months and months? Because I'm in shape. I'm powerful. I'm strong. I wake up every morning. Every morning. Work out for five hours. Run 19 miles a day. Swim across the Atlantic Ocean. Quinn and I, not that we've ever talked about wrestling, but we have an old running joke, which is it all goes back to Gorgeous George. And I'm going to tell you how in this case. Mm -hmm. Superstar Billy Graham, with his charismatic speaking style, was inspired by Muhammad Ali's very Mm -hmm. eloquent, flowery way of speaking in his interviews. And Muhammad Ali was, in turn, inspired by the persona of Gorgeous George. Right. It always connects back to Gorgeous George. It always does. But what Superstar Graham did, even though he was champion for a very short period of time, even though he was a bad guy. it was eight months for for a a bad guy. It was a long time. It was a very long time, considering Stan Stasiak was nine days and Ivan Koloff was very short. They had transitional bad guy champions, but they were that. They were transitional. He was, like, given a run, (laughs) which was very different. Very different. And Superstar Graham was cheered. Yeah. Despite being a bad guy, people liked him because he was so charismatic Mm -hmm. and he was big and he had blonde hair and he said cool phrases like daddy and brother and stuff. And he was in shape, which is a lot of these guys, while they were in shape, they didn't look like 
super muscle men or right. something, right? And that's like was a big distinguishing factor he about looked, superstar Billy Graham. Right, like Bruno was in shape, but he looked like a very in shape contractor, you know, right. or something like that. And I'm not trying to make fun of him. But yeah, like, it looked you know? like he worked on the docks in New yeah, York City. I wouldn't fuck with him. Yeah, don't get me wrong. He's got strength. Oh God, <laughs> yeah. But he's he doesn't have a like like a bodybuilder right which is like maybe a like the thing that's funny is a bodybuilder might not be able to fight correct he looks like he can exactly and that's you know taste we're starting to change bruno san martino cannot get the belt back from superstar billigram i am the champion i am the greatest i am the strongest this is my belt it's also i guess a good time right now just to digress here and we're talking about usa and the the style of wrestling in the USA did permeate Canada and the UK and Australia and a lot of parts of the world. However, Mexico had a tremendous history with wrestling, Lucha yeah, Libre. But a totally uh, different style. Totally different style. Jumping around and doing all, all sorts of acrobatics. And probably, maybe, I could be off base in saying this, but probably the most famous wrestler relative to like their own country in El Santo. Yeah. He was literally, he wrestled from the 30s to the 80s. He was like a he's like a folklore cultural yeah. icon down yeah. there. The number two would be uh, Mil Mascarez, right? Uh. Yeah. So and then <laughs> Japan with its own again Japan sto- its own like flavor. Yes, right? it's totally like, different. What's interesting about Japan style versus the Mexican style and the American style is that the realism was very much emphasized. Yes, especially- even though it was like. It was just like America, where it wasn't real. Yep. And they had their own huge stars with uh, Ricky Dozen. Antonio Inoki. Uh, obviously, Antonio Inoki. Mm-hmm. And to this day, is, wrestling is still wildly popular in Japan. And there's always crossover with the U- U.S. And, right. and vice versa. But just wanted to mention that. And of course, the U.K. had Big Daddy. <sighs> yeah. World of sport. We'll just leave that there. Oh, mate. Don't forget the giant haystacks. Fish and cheeps. Canada, I guess, had um, Terrible Ted, the wrestling bear. Yeah. That's their big star. And Stu. Yeah. Stu, tell us exactly what you think about your son. It's wonderful. I'm just... Well, there you go. Anything else? (laughs) What else are they? (laughs) Frenchie Martin. Anyway, they we love Grand you guys. Prix and the Rougeos. Oh, and they like had Grand they had, Prix. Yeah, they had their own crap. They had Gilfish Croissant. Gilfish Croissant and like other people. It's just like, to me, it was like, this is not to insult Canadian no, fans we, we or anything. No, we would never do that. But it felt like the AAA to America's major leagues. Does does that make sense? Kind of like how the Canadian Football League is the same thing. I would never say that, Quinn. I agree with you. Uh, <laughs> back to the USA here. So while Har- Harley Race, we had mentioned him, he was the old NWA stalwart. He was given way to Ric Flair in mm-hmm. the early 80s once and for all by 83. The WWF had something else in mind. The now the now shortened WWF World Wrestling Federation. By the way, great choice. Three W's is that necessary? No, two is fine. Yeah. Two is the perfect amount of W's. It's it just says that we have a lot of W's, but not too many W's. <laughs> we have more than one, but yeah. we're not getting crazy here yeah. with three. Come on. But around the same time in the late 70s and early 80s, Vincent J. McMahon's son. Vincent Kennedy McMahon ha, what's up, assholes? had been helping his dad run the show because he had already been an announcer for his dad since like 1970. This Monday night in Madison Square Garden, this Monday, a fantastic card of professional wrestling. But he also promoted his own stuff at his Cape Cod Coliseum, among other things, and he founded his own company in 1980. Titan Sports, Quinn. Right. Titan. So a lot of this was all in preparation of his end goal of taking over his father's huge business, yes. right? Yes. 
And at the time, his father's huge business had a champion that defeated Superstar Graham named Bob Backlund, a mm-hmm. true all-American boy, babyface This twin. was a, a return to like form for the World Federation here, World it Wrestling was. Federation, where they would essentially like, it's like, let's find like something that's really like, it's really conservative and nice and like down to earth, down to earth. And people will get this more like Bruno, less like superstar Graham. 100%. And to Bob Backlund's credit, he started very hot. He was mm-hmm. champion for a long time. 78. He started, he had a lot of memorable feuds. A feud is like an angle. An angle is a storyline in wrestling. And he was a great, Oh my God, was he in good shape? Yeah, he, he was seriously, but he wasn't large. He wasn't large. Again, no. superstar Billy Graham was a larger com- life compared to him. He was a much larger human yes. being. Bob Backlund was not the most charismatic. He was kind of just a straight shooting talking with talk like this and I'm yeah. going to win. Well, Vince, when I got out, when I was laying there, I didn't dare take a deep breath because uh, those ribs were pushing into my lungs so hard and I just wouldn't dare expand them because there was so much pain. But when I got laid on that stretcher and they were carrying me out, I started fighting it because I didn't want to be embarrassed or be shamed by carrying out a stretcher. But he did begin to cool off around 82. Also of note, while we're talking about the year 1982, elsewhere in Memphis... A very popular, short-lived, but popular angle that crossed it on the mainstream between Andy Kaufman, yes, mm-hmm. of Taxi fame, yes. among other things, and uh, the Memphis wrestling king, Jerry Lawler. Yes, and so I feel like this is where start some of the, the roots of like, hey, if we get some celebrities involved with this, maybe that will take us out of this like dark ages, right? Yeah, and ironically, it was Vincent J. McMahon, the elder, who had refused to work with Andy Kaufman. He did right. not want that in his company. The wrestling here tonight unquestionably most exciting, but you do wrestling on, on your own, as a matter of fact, but uh, generally with the ladies. That's right. That's right. I, I just don't think that it's possible for a woman to beat a man in wrestling. So he went down to Memphis, and that crossed over onto the mainstream a little bit. You know, it was on Letterman, which was a yeah. very new show at the time. Uh, is Andy, are you coming in here again, or...? I'm sick of this bullshit. You are full of bullshit, my friend. I will sue you for everything you have. I will sue your ass. You're a motherfucking asshole. As far as I'm concerned, you hear me? A fucking asshole. Fuck you. I will get you for this. I am sorry. I am sorry to use those words on television. I apologize to all my friends. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But you, you're a fucking asshole. A fucking asshole. But anyway, that same year, 1982, is where Vincent Kennedy McMahon's Titan Sports purchased Capital Wrestling, the owner of the World Wrestling Federation, from Vincent J. McMahon. And very, uh, very dubious conditions. Yeah, like, like I don't so think a lot we of, need to yeah, get into let's any just of say, that. It, let's just say a lot of it just feels... You know, I was saying some of that mafia stuff. The way that this, this fucking shit was laid out is like really weird. Like, oh, if you don't pay us back in a year, like we get it all back no yeah. matter what. Like there that was, kind of stuff. It, it was. It, it, you have to give like people lifetime employment and stuff. Like all this weird provisions yeah, to buy it. It's not worth getting into right. here. But slowly things did begin to change as 82 became... 83 the backland the bob backland era wore on but over in yet another wrestling promotion that we haven't mentioned yet there was a very big name and first we have to start with Vern Gagne. he was a respected amateur wrestler and an olympian and he himself had broken away 
from the NWA in 1960. He promoted that of Minneapolis in right. the Midwest. He formed the American Wrestling Association. Uh, so he would run, you know, Chicago area, he, Milwaukee, big wrestling cities, very popular I cities. I would say one of their advantages is their geographic territory yeah. was very big as opposed the to the other ones. Yeah. Right? Even the Northeast, where that was the most profitable, was a smaller geographic territory. Yeah, there wasn't much. Yeah, you're yeah. honestly right. I mean, what are you going to do? Erie, Pennsylvania, what's out there? Yeah. No offense to anyone from Erie. Anyway, uh, Vern Gagne was very successful in his own right in the 70s and into the 80s. And in 1982 and 83, Quinn, he had a very hot player on his hands. And we'll talk all about that. And finally, the boom on the other side of this break. In the meantime, I don't know. Go hang out with Terrible Ted. Do what you got to do, folks. But we will be back for the exciting second half of the 80s wrestling boom when more Acid Wash Memories returns. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. I'm Billy Crystal. Saturday Night Live is back live again with host Hulk Hogan and Mr. T on the night before WrestleMania. So you better be there. You heard the man? I always like to keep my favorite snack handy. Need a little excitement? Step into a Slim Jim. Oh, yeah. Oh, hello there. This is uh, Joe Murata. You might know me as Joe on Acid Wash Memories. I just wanted to break into the action here just as one final disclaimer. I and Quinn are well aware that there are a lot of things we have not covered and will not cover on the second half of this episode. Certain things that maybe are not getting any or very little attention. Uh, Jim Londos being one of the most popular wrestlers in the 30s and 40s and, and the 50s as well. Other companies that were on cable television such as World Class Championship Wrestling and the AWA. I want to be clear that we are, in fact, only telling a partial portion of the story. And yes, I'm aware that I'm skimming through a lot of things that wrestling fans find very commonplace. Anyway. Hey, Joe. Uh, yes, Gorilla. They get it. Will you stop? Sir, would you prefer hamburger A, a Wendy's hamburger, which is always made fresh, or hamburger B, which is pre-made and sits around? B. It's hard like my Dale toys. Yes, but wouldn't you rather have the juicy taste of the Wendy's hamburger? Hey, no pain, no gain. And that bee burger, that's pain. Yeah, real pain. The kind I like. That burger put some serious hurt in me. I love it. Got any more? Most people like the taste of fresh hamburgers, like Wendy's, the best burgers in the business. For body slamming WWF action, in and out of the ring is WrestleMania Challenge for your NES, and it's WWF Superstars for Game Boy, Battle of the Hulkster, Ultimate Warrior, and more from LJN. Hey, it's Sean Mooney. Who cares? And now we return to more Acid Wash Memories. And welcome back, wrestling fans, to Acid Washed Memories. This is episode number 50, coming to you Monday, December the 18th, 2023. Michael Quinn is still with me, of course. Oh, I'm here. Hi, Michael. Hi. How you doing? Folks, we just want to remind you to please follow us on Twitter at AWM Podcast and join our group. We'd really appreciate that. And hey, leave us a review on your podcast app of choice. We'd like that, too. It would be good. I think it would be good. So, Quinn, we were talking about wrestling, and we promised we would discuss the boom but in order to discuss the boom, we had to set the foundation. Right. I just want to make that very clear here. That's why we were talking about Frank Gotch. That's yep. why we were talking about Luthes, Gorgeous George, 
the AWA. So that you would understand why this boom matters. Right. And for some of you, this is probably a very broad, undetailed regurgitation of things you've heard before. And for that, we do apologize. Mm-hmm. But for those of you that maybe had no idea about 80% of the stuff we're saying, we that hope you like it. wrestling actually has a rich history. Right, it does. It does. And possibly mafia ties. Yeah. We don't know yet. All very it, shady it, a lot yeah, of this we're shit. We're just going to stay away from that. Yeah. Uh, but okay, so we were talking about Vern Gagne's AWA in the early 80s, and I said that he had a hot player on his hands. And that man was uh, a guy by the name of Terry Jean Bollea, who was born in 1953. Yeah, possibly part of Metallica and yeah, other things. I think he turned down an offer uh, to be in Metallica yeah, uh, in the <laughs> 60s. Uh, Various other <laughs> events in this man's life are very uh, interesting. He might I say? have played Batman on the 60s TV yeah. show. We're not sure, though. <laughs> they, uh, they actually asked me to play Robin, but I said, hey, that's not going to work for me, brother. Uh but I always wanted to wear a cape. <laughs> and he became a wrestling fan in the late 60s as a teenager. And he was a big guy, a tall guy, broad guy. And he was uh, from Florida. He was working out in a local Tampa gym. And he was also a musician. He legitimately was. He was a bass player. He played in a band known as Ruckus. Mm-hmm. And they you know, played in the Tampa St. Pete area bars and club band type of thing. like a baby boomer style like you know into the music and the the, the, the world of the 60s you know like, that's a good point though yeah. right in the rock of the time yeah right? like credence and um he was discovered playing bass by uh two guys former world champion jack briscoe and former not world champion his brother jerry briscoe and <laughs> and the the, the briscoe brothers discovered him and said hey why don't you try that wrestling thing and uh so in 1977, Terry Bollea began his wrestling career, first in Florida, then in Alabama, and then in Memphis, wrestling under the name of Sterling Golden. From Tampa, Florida, weighing in at 315 pounds, Sterling Golden. Sterling Golden. Everyone would know him as that name. That is uh, a very great name Sterling for a jewelry store. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sterling Gold. Sterling Gold. That also sounds mafioso. It sounds a little uh, weird. Like a front business of some kind. It's, I think it's the back. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is where the, the mom is yeah. back there cooking. Veal Scalapini? Anyway, in 1979, Vincent J. McMahon, the elder McMahon, he brought him up to the New York Territory. Yes. And he gave him a new name, thankfully. Hulk Hogan. Wow. <laughs> Do you want me to comment on that? Let me tell you something. I have all the abilities. I have all the qualifications to defeat this man, Mr. McMahon. The idea being he was bigger than Lou Ferrigno, who played the Incredible Hulk. So, yeah, what, I do think it was always funny how when Hulk Hogan made it big, that they had to, like, say, like, Hulk is technically, like, a Marvel, yeah, whatever. Yeah, they had to work out a deal yeah, with yeah, Marvel. Yeah, Marvel's like, hey, we wrote that. What well, the fuck? Well, <laughs> like, what's, what's funny, too, is for until around 85... They called him the Incredible Hulk Hogan. They did. And that's where Marvel got their tit in a ringer. They're like, what are you... Well, rightfully so. To be fair, I mean, the Incredible Hulk was a very well-established comic book character by this point. He had a TV show and shit. I know. Right. They, I don't know what they thought they were doing. Right. Like, they got away with it for a yeah. long time. Maybe but. they thought while it wasn't at the time, like, you know, wrestling wasn't as big. And maybe they didn't understand that it would be a big deal. Uh, that's a like, good point. Like, yeah. Marvel's never going to give a shit. Uh, like, no one watches this. Yeah. The Incredible Hulk Hogan, over 320 pounds. And he was managed by 
a guy that was actually in his time in the 50s when he was a wrestler, a pretty popular name on TV, Classy Freddie Blassie. Yes, Classy actually, Freddie Blassie. He was known back in the Gorgeous well, George days. In the, in the World Wrestling the Federation, he was also one of the known managers of yep. the, the three wise men, as they would say. This will be the biggest test my man will be put to. And when he defeats Andre the Giant, which I know he will because he's much faster and much smarter, then look out, the world title will be his. Uh, so Hulk Hogan was a bad guy, managed by Classy Freddie Blassie, and he had a feud with another notable guy, a guy that did stand out quite literally and figuratively, Andre the Giant. Yes. Hi, I don't like you. One of the biggest wrestlers of all time. Quite literally and, literally and, and figuratively. Literally and figuratively. Andre the Giant was so popular that he would go to other countries. Everywhere wanted Andre the Giant because he was like, honestly, like a human being that's over seven feet tall. He's a tall, big guy. Um, is kind of like a sight to behold. He used to drink bathtub full of wine and stuff right. like that. It was impressive. Like every, everything proportions were like different to this person, yeah. right? He could like flip cars and shit. He was that big. He had 74 teeth. Yeah. Uh, if you've ever seen The Princess Bride, you know who Andre the Giant is, even if you don't watch wrestling. Somebody want a peanut. <laughs> He had a distinctive voice, too. Anybody want a peanut? Yeah, yeah it's, it's true. Anybody want a peanut? Peanut butter pie? And Andre's whole deal was, if you're big, I don't like you. So yeah. Hulk Hogan on screen, right? They have a, a, a feud. Anytime somebody it. like that was bigger than a normal person would come in, Andre would like put them in their place. Yeah, but right? that would be the like, feud. I'm going to get Andre. Yeah. No, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they, they actually took that feud to Shea Stadium in August of 1980. Which was not the the main attraction. The main attraction was Bruno San Martino, but we don't need it. We're, again, we're not getting into the weeds here too much. But it was a thing on the card. It was a thing. And Hulk Hogan was with the World Wrestling Federation territory until the spring of 1981. And it was around that time that Sylvester Stallone, mm-hmm. we mentioned him earlier, he uh, he asked Hulk Hogan, hey, do you want to play a part in Rocky Three?" Hulk Hogan said, yeah. Of course. Of course he did. Money. And Vincent J. McMahon, the again, older. The, yeah was still running things, and he said, no, you can't do that. Again, because of his like whole thing about like no celebrities. No none celebrities. Of that, none this of that. is wrestling. This yeah. is what we do. Right. That's all we do. Hey, don't forget that I gave Muhammad Ali the airplane spin, you chooches. So Hulk Hogan left. He did the movie. He appeared in it as Thunderlips. In the flesh, flesh baby. Thunderlips is here. In the flesh, baby. Very notable appearance. It did actually get him some mainstream popularity because back then, even 40 years ago, right? More people watched movies and less other things. And more people saw the movie Rocky than ever saw wrestling. Yeah. (laughs) Than ever saw wrestling. Right. So like Rocky 3 was a very popular movie. Mr. T was in it and uh, Hulk Hogan was in it. So he left. Hulk Hogan left and he landed in Vern Gagne's American Wrestling Association. Mm -hmm. So that is... The hot ham we were talking about now. Ironic, though, right? It's like Vern Gagne was also known as a no-nonsense, only wrestling guy, but he oh, seemed yeah. perfectly willing to deal with, with Hulk Hogan and his fame. Hey, in the spirit of business, man, absolutely, yeah. right? Now, he was he was managed, Hulk Hogan was, when he first landed in the AWA by a, a guy by the name of Luscious Johnny Valiant. Ugh. I, this time, will introduce the man, the man, Hulk Hogan. And that that didn't last long because fans started to pick up on this Hulk Hogan guy. They're like, no, we like him. And he is funny and he is charismatic and he's really just superstar Billy Graham, if we're being honest here. Basically. That's why we mentioned him. But the difference is, and maybe people will be upset with me saying this, Hulk Hogan's a much better in-ring wrestler than Billy Graham ever was. True. They're 
you're scared that Hulkamania is still running wild. I came into Denver town with both of these 24-inch pythons loaded, and I proved that Hulkamania is still running wild. And you've explained this before, not on a podcast ever, but you've you know just said it to me casually. Hulk Hogan, the way he talked in the early eighties, that was cool for the time, right? It to was. The- it was like he he had this kind of California surfer vibe. Yes, right. Which was, I mean, look at Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which was a movie around the same time. It was that kind of thing. It's like he's he's laid back, man, brother, yep. daddy, like you know. It, he just seems like a guy you want to hang out and have a beer with right and bang with right yeah (laughs) just stay away from the jet skizzy so he became a good guy in the summer of 81 and it was around this time that a phenomenon uh began to emerge in the american wrestling association known as hulk amania right without getting again into a serious long discussion about this basically all signs seem to point to Hulk Hogan should be the champion of the AWA. Right. But Vern Gagne was... Initially, uh, he was like, this is real wrestling here. Yeah, <laughs> whatever. That, and, oh, only Brad Ryan around here or whatever. <laughs> have to have Olympians here. Yeah. But then he did agree. Yeah. Under the condition that Hulk Hogan would have to share... A percentage of, was it his Japan money that Hogan, because Hogan was working Japan? I don't know if that was... Was it merch? It was, it was the merch, what was, merch. The, what was the big sticking point. I think he didn't give a shit about the Japan money as much as the merchandise. Okay. Right? And guess what? Hulk Hogan said, all right, well then, I'm going to go work uh, somewhere I'm else. I'm not going to work here. <laughs> that was like a huge... That's like, a, to me, one of the most massive like fuck-ups in like wrestling history. It, it really was. It was it, like what, the gall, like the fact that he, he lost Hulk Hogan because he he was greedy, basically. He stumbled into this because Vincent J. McMahon made a mistake, right. ultimately. And he then he made another, a, a bigger mistake. A bigger mistake. Because Vincent Kennedy McMahon was now running things by late 1983. Mm-hmm. And he did two very important things, Vincent Kennedy McMahon, in the fall of 1983. He withdrew once and for all from the NWA, completely independent of them. And number two, he started talking to Hulk Hogan to come back in. He got him back in in December of 83. And not only Hulk Hogan. is The thing with the deal with Hulk Hogan yes. was Hulk's like, well, I want to bring all my friends in, right? And so suddenly, there's this influx. Over the course of 84, there was an influx of talent from the American Wrestling Association. Mean Gene Okerlund as a TV mm-hmm. announcer. Oh, pass the fucking money. Jesse the Body Ventura. Bobby the Brain Heenan a little bit later. And names on top upon of this, names. Hulk, Vince McMahon was on a talent acquisition spree. So what Hulk was like a double thing where it's like, I got Hulk, but also Hulk's friends, yeah. right? But on top of it, he had already been getting people like Rowdy Roddy Piper, yeah. for taking them from Jim Crockett promotions, the, the Southern promotion. Greg, he got Greg Valentine back too at the right. same time. Yeah, so he was he was basically like, Hulk was like a, a two for one in a, in a sense. And I guess we should explain here Vince McMahon's motivation here what he wanted to do why he withdrew from the nwa and why he wanted somebody like a hulk hogan why he was acquiring a lot of talent yeah. more than usual a lot of these promotions you know one or two guys would come in at a time and this, and this is like a lot of people and they were all big names they were all big within names wrestling within their promotions yes. that they were coming from the reason he wanted to do this is because he wanted to say enough of all this local territory shit that all you other guys are doing mm-hmm. i'm going to turn this into a national 
maybe even worldwide brand. The WWF is going to expand across the country, yep. expand around the globe, and in order to do so, I need more wrestlers. I need the biggest names. I need the best names, and I need a champion. So we dump Backlund, right, mm-hmm. in December of 83 to the Iron Sheik, who is now like a pop culture meme. Yes. Right? Fucking bullshit! And on January 23rd, mm-hmm. 1984, at Madison Square Garden... Hulk Hogan defeated the Iron Sheik to win the WWF title. Hulk Hogan, he drops the big leg on him. He's down for the cover of the leg. One, two, he got him. Speaking of the same period of time, we're talking fall of 83 into 84. I want to tell you some other things that were going on. Vince McMahon, again, who was on a, a spree, it pissed off a lot of people. Rightfully so, but it's also business. And if right. they could have done it to him, I'm sure they would have. And it was ending the old order. Yeah. They just didn't have the foresight or the yeah. wherewithal to do it. Okay. Mm-hmm. He had gotten onto cable. That's important because at the time, at the time, they had two television shows that were just locally syndicated. You had to go to each station. We talked about syndication. Right. right? And in the TV episode. But so wrestling's running up against this technical limitation. Yes. That makes it very hard to nationally expand because you have to talk to every. Every. Network. Yeah. It makes it physically impossible for a small thing like wrestling to be in every single area. The long and short of it is he kind of strong armed his way into Southwest Wrestling time slot, Joe Blanchard's time slot on the USA Network in 1983 and renamed his program All-American Wrestling. Yep. Hello, everyone. This is Vince McMahon in the studios of the USA Cable Network. We wholeheartedly welcome you to the premiere of All-American Wrestling. But importantly, he was on cable, and in mid-84, he got another cable show with the USA Network, Tuesday Night Titans, which was a, a talk show. Don't need to get into that. We, we it's, won't. It's terrible. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Tuesday Night Titans. Indeed, this is a most unusual treatment of the World Wrestling Federation. But here's what else is going on in 1983. Cindy Lauper is a pop star that you've probably heard of, a singer, right? Right. And uh, she had a single out called Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Right. And she had a producer named David Wolf, who was also her boyfriend. Yeah. And they were going to do a video. And David Wolf was a wrestling fan, and right. which, again, in 1983, that could be of any promotion, right? Like, mm-hmm. a wrestling fan. There's no national wrestling, really, right? right? But what is so funny about all of this, right, is that David Wolf, noted wrestling fan, he's on a plane going somewhere. Essentially, Captain Louis Albano, the, the wrestling manager from the World Wrestling Federation. Hey, paisanos! Is on the same plane, just happenstance. Yep. And David Wolf is like starstruck by this. He's yep. like, "Oh my god, it's it's Captain, the captain. it's Captain Lou Albano, and a he, bad guy by the way, yeah, a bad guy." But he but he's a wrestling fan. And he knows who he is. And yep. So he's talking to him, and one thing leads to another, and suddenly, hey, Captain Lou Albano, you want to be in this music video for yep. Cindy Lauper? Yep. And Captain Lou Albano, being a wrestling person, sees money, and he says, "Of course, I fucking do." Like, what are you <laughs> right? talking? Yeah, easy. I don't. He didn't have to change his look or anything. Yeah, He's yeah. just into this Captain Lou. Yeah. For whatever reason, that made an impression on people, but it made an impression on Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon used that connection to make overtures to Cindy Lauper. And I want to emphasize too on music's trajectory during this time and how. Basically, you know, MTV and it's like kind of underground rise yep. to like prominence and wrestling was also kind of like almost on the same trajectory in an underground rise to prominence. Yes, like, I agree with you. And they kind of like were peanut butter and jelly. They really did 
fit together at this very specific point in time. MTV was a new phenomenon, like yeah. you said, and you know, Underground Rise is a great way to put it. They both seemed cool. It was like, oh, that's really neat. Like that kind of weird, like kitschy, like wrestling thing. With that Hulk Hogan With, guy. Yeah, and it's kind of goofy and weird, but like, you know, it's kind of like punk, right? It's like you're, you're into unpopular yeah, things, right? Underground. And, yeah, it's like it's underground. And it, I don't know, like the merger of those two things kind of skyrocketed wrestling's popularity. Suddenly it became cool. Yeah, absolutely, Quinn. And quite literally, the WWF and MTV did converge mm-hmm. uh, in the summer of 84 after Cindy Lauper had appeared. You know, there's various threads to this that you're going to hear stuff that I'm dropping in. But the bottom line is Cindy Lauper appeared on WWF syndicated TV, yeah. which is like crazy, right? Yeah, it is weird. Uh, on like, that dinky program. I'm not calling him a liar. I don't want to get mad. Now, don't get me mad. Wait a second. We don't care who gets mad. I'll tell you something. Just wait a second, young lady. I don't care what you think. Just a minute, Cindy. I want you to be honest. Tell them how I took you abroad, hanging around New York. If you watch the program at the time, it's very low budget. There's no expectation. It's taped in like Allentown and then Poughkeepsie. Yeah, there's no expectation that anyone that's not in wrestling of import is ever going to be at this, right? <laughs> right? It's right, like, right. It, it, it is, you do not want to be seen here. Yes. Like, it is, it is <laughs> crappy, right? <laughs> the, the ring's all fucked up. It's dirty in there. and shit. Yes. Like, the lights half work. Yeah. It, it, so, so to have Cindy Lauper on this thing, the whole look of it, right? It was just all very intoxicating, very like, glamorous right this underground thing right so it's w- very new wave very new wave yeah. yeah and wf gets on mtv in july of 84 and again in february of 85 we're just streamlining the details here cindy lopper and captain lou albano break up in the feud that rocked rock and roll i challenge you you fat man to win i accept your challenge Thank you got it you want it well now you got it and it was due to those two MTV specials, due to all of the aforementioned talent that Vince McMahon had brought in, such as mm-hmm. a Roddy Piper, Hulk Hogan in particular, those two, and a bunch right of other guys. Right place at the right time with all this. With too. all of this. Now you've got people that, when they're not on their own television show, they stand out. So when a guy like Roddy Piper is doing a promo on MTV... Yeah. He's st- he's, he can talk. He's got the personality. Yeah. This isn't Vern Gagne. Hi, I want my MTV or whatever, right? What and is that? Again, the look of MTV was very underground. You know, those old, like, illustrated, it's kind of cheap, like, yeah, these yeah. music videos. Yep. I think it stinks. I think what MTV is doing stinks. I think you go. I saw one video. They had a mask on the guy. They had a mask on the guy that was metal. The person that Roddy Piper is, right? A guy in a kilt with a, with a hot rod shirt. <laughs> abrasive. Like, kind of this obnoxiously short hair, like, <laughs> abrasive look. Yeah. Like, he just, he fits so yep. well into, like, what MTV is. I don't right? like the rock music yeah. or whatever. It's kind of a psycho. <laughs> yeah. Like, what the hell is wrong with this person? But then Hulk Hogan's like, no, daddy, it's yeah. good. You know, yeah. the rock and wrestling the connection, guy, brother. Big yeah. muscly surfer man. Yep. Like, it's like, <laughs> it's it all just kind of fits, right? I'm the incredible Hulk Hogan, the main man in your rock wrestling connection around MTV. We want you to stay with us because coming up in just a minute, we're going to have the queen herself, man, Cindy Lauper. So business legitimately picked up for the WWF throughout 84 into 85. And it was when Vince McMahon had the idea to put together a super card at their home base arena, Madison Square Garden, where Mm -hmm. they run every month, right? Usually sell it out during the Hogan era. He had an idea of, well, why don't we 
have a show that incorporates not only the wrestling part, but all these celebrities that are now we have access to. Right. Because now they want to. Now we're cool. Now we're cool. So Cindy Lauper was a part yeah. of that. Because Hulk Hogan had worked on Rocky Three. Who else worked on Rocky Three? Mr. T. Clubber Lang, yes. And Mr. T was also very popular in 85 on the A-Team. Hey, Hulk, look here. Everybody know we started training for the for the March 31st date, man. All over. Everybody know about it, man. March 31st. The papers got it, man. You know Daddy what's so us, funny man. about this team, man? The whole world knows about this, man. Hulk Hogan <laughs> and Mr. T start to train right, for the dream first, team, you know? man. So we had the two of them. We brought in Muhammad Ali to be a referee. He's coming back. Billy Martin from the Yankees sometimes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> to be, <laughs> to Depending be on his answer. employment situation. Yeah, exactly. Less filling, George. Billy, it tastes great. Less filling, George. Billy? Yeah, George. You're fired. <laughs> Not again. Liberace. A yeah. Notable name, right? Bunch of celebrities. And we have the first ever WrestleMania. Welcome everyone, Gorilla Monsoon here at ringside with my colleague Jesse the Body Ventura as the World Wrestling Federation presents the wrestling extravaganza of all time, Wrestlemania. Here's the thing is I feel like of the, the legacy of the 80s boom, the two things that are remembered to this day is Hulk Hogan and Wrestlemania. I think so. Wrestlemania is known to the mainstream as like it's the biggest wrestling event of the year. Yep. It's in the biggest arena. It's got the most people at it. And yep. it's a place to be still to this day. And tons of celebrities were there because it was just starting to catch on wrestling. was. But by now we're in March of 85. Hogan came in in December of 83 on TV in January of 84. He has helped change things. Roddy Piper has helped change things. Cindy Lauper has helped change things. We are now to the point in 1985 where this is like... We're just about detonating the boom at right. this point. I'd say in 85, because now Vince McMahon forges a relationship with Dick Ebersol, who has contacts. I think he was maybe with them still in 85, but he has contacts either way with NBC. Yeah, he was an expert. He had kind of revitalized SNL during the dark years. And he did like, his best. He did his best, and he was credited for that. And they said, what else can you put on late night? And so comes Saturday, Saturday Night's Main Event. Saturday Night's Main Event debuted uh, only two months after WrestleMania, not even six weeks, May of 19. 1985. This was 11.30 at night. It took SNL's time slot a few times a year. This was a big deal for several reasons. For a wrestling fan, it's a big deal because you get to see all these marquee names. Right. You get to see Hulk Hogan, who doesn't wrestle on TV. Yeah, but also for wrestling, wrestling's on network television again. That's which the is big what, deal there. That's, the, that's what they wanted. That's national exposure. Because there's creatures of habit that just turn on NBC what, right. expecting SNL. They right. probably aren't paying too much attention to if it's on or not. Yeah, and they're kind of just like, what's this? And and they see it and it's like, oh, this is neat. Yeah. Right? It's like, this is different. I think I've seen that guy before. Yeah. Right? What is this? And, and they it, only put their... The, there was a reason they only... For wrestling fans, you said, oh, it's great. It's all the top guys. But it's all the top guys because it's the, the most exposure. So they're not going to put like fucking jobber matches no, on No, they're not going to put Aldo Marina on yeah. there probably. Yeah. Typically, that's like, to open the they show. Wanna, they want to put their best face forward to the rest of the country. I'm Hulk Hogan, and I won't be alone tonight when I defend my world championship title against Cowboy Bob Orton because my main man, Mr. T, brother, is going to be in my corner. That's right, Hulk, baby. And if that fool, Roddy Roddy Piper, step his nose in the ring, he's going to answer to me. I pity that fool. <laughs> you know, I pity that fool, too. So kick back and relax for Saturday night's main event. Again, all part of the national expansion. Suddenly, now, just by default, you know, certain nights main event, even if you have wrestling, that's some other champion in your area, like Ric Flair or something. Yep. Well, what's this other thing? 
this is also in my area now. What's this? Exactly. It's a oh, huge is, deal. is that Hulk Hogan? Is he the real world champion or is Ric Flair the world champion? Who's, right. What? And around the same time, too, Quinn, is when um, WWF partnered up with LJN to make uh, action figures. Yeah, they got action figures. Wrestling superstars, they're for real. Each sold separately from LJN. Yeah. They, T-shirts and Suddenly merch. they were like a big, th- they, they were, were a, a brand. They were a thing that was known and they were in the mainstream unlike the rest of all these other territories and i feel like at this point everybody wants the like oh this is this is the wrestling and like wh- this, they are the wrestling and why would people want to uh, to be a part of that cuz it's mainstream mainstream make yeah. money right yeah. <laughs> and again still the same motivation it isn't to better the world, mm-hmm. right? Let's no, just be clear just about entertainment. it. It's not entertainment. Right. It's not like a... It's not world. to make political statements. But as far as this business world is concerned, with this wrestling business world, it's... If, if there's money I, to be it, made. It was like the apocalypse. Uh, from there, Hulk is scheduled for a premiere of his cartoon series. Since taking over from his father, McMahon has almost single-handedly turned American wrestling from an old-fashioned grunt-and-groan spectacle into an unfolding melodrama for mass audiences. This is also around the time Vince McMahon really leaned into a term that they still use to this day, sports entertainment. Yes, this is part of the... um, The branding. Finally, is it fake? Like, this was their attempt to, like... It's sports entertainment. I always felt like if people said it's fake, the response is, no, it's sports Sport, entertainment. It's, it, yeah, which it is, technically. Yeah. So is fucking they, roller derby They finally figured shit. out a sanitary <laughs> right. term to refer to, like, what the hell is this, right? right? But, but it is. So is American Gladiators, is it not? Mm-hmm. It's not real. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> right. Some people, I think, ask wrestling, are they a real sport? But it's not sport it's sports entertainment it's there to fulfill your needs to give you something extra to look forward to more events happen. We're, again, we're we're keeping the details light here. Yeah, but you, there is you like, guys that know know there is like there's a peak here. More events happen. More talent comes in. I want to talk briefly again about the TV. They revamp their syndication in the fall of '86, and they move out of one home base in Poughkeepsie, New York. Right. And um, Brantford, Ontario, I believe it was, right, for the other show. Yeah. They rename them, they rebrand them, and they start taking all this on the road. Right. So They also stopped being on, like, the syndicated. They stopped airing them at 1130 at night or whatever, because we we didn't even touch on, like, SNL was not, like, a real deviation from their fucking normal time slot that was, like, on at late night anyway. It was on at 11 usually. Yeah. And Vince tried to get better time slots with different stations, right? Suddenly, now that they're mainstream and they got action figures and things that appeal to kids. They're like, "Hey, can we put you on at noon yep. on Saturday yeah, or can some we shit?" Bump this like, shit up, yeah, maybe like, twelve hours, yeah. And they start drawing a ton of fans, a ton of money, and a ton of interest. And in terms of their biggest um, live gate they had in the 1980s, it was it was WrestleMania three, which took place in March of 1987. And welcome. That's, of course, Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant. But this time, despite this happening seven years earlier, we got a whole new fan base here. So, yeah. So what was smart about the promotion of WrestleMania 3 and why it was such a big deal is they were very smart to, like, not really mention this prior history. Right? Yeah, I think other, it was other smart. than the history that people when it, the history they had in the mainstream was the history right, from eighty four onwards, right? The Andre's Hulk Hogan's friend shit, See, right? I think that's smart. I think other people say, "Oh, Vince is insulting our intelligence." No, he's not. He's just trying to appeal to people. Well, and also you know? he had a much easier time doing it because 
Nobody was fucking was watching. watching this shit in 81. Like, nobody cared. Only wrestling fans were watching. Until, like, Cindy Lauper and all that stuff happened, nobody cared. Right. Because like, if you mean to tell me that it's only the same people watching in 80 and 87, where did all these new people come from? Right, exactly. How are they filling these arenas across mm-hmm. the country? People did start watching. Exactly. Tons they, of new people. And there is no internet, so they don't fucking know. Right. Right? It's like, they're like, oh, I guess that's true, because they would even show footage to, like, prove their point. Yeah. But they would conveniently never show show the Shea Stadium thing. Absolutely not. Like, but WrestleMania 3 has a disputed attendance figure of 93,173. I don't give a shit what the actual attendance is. Here's it's the, a lot of people. The th- yeah. The thing is, is like, even if it's not that number, you can just eyeball the arena. It's at least 80,000 people. It's, it's like, it's a lot. It, <laughs> even if it was 78. Well, because, uh, be, well, actually, uh, Zane, um, Zane Bresloff told uh, told me that it was seventy eight thousand, and uh, well, he worked because he was actually with um, Turner at the time, and not and not Titan. So even if it is, that's a lot of people in one place to watch wrestling. Let alone paying for it on pay per view, going to closed circuit, mm-hmm. the three million dollar gate or whatever. I mean, three million dollar gross, whatever it did. It's absurd. The point is the scale of this was of another level that no wrestling had ever seen. Not even in the gotcha days or, no. you know. In North America, like, we're talking. Well, because um, J- Jim Lundos, he uh, he was one of the most... Uh, he hi, was, Dave. Oh, hi. Yeah, will you stop? They made a point promotionally to pan out of the arena. Yes. And show you so many people wanted to see this. That the wrestling itself is like a dot yeah. in the fucking center. It's crazy. And there's so many people that want to just, they, they just want to be there to see who wins, Andre or the Hulk. That's right? all it's they like, cared about. That's all they care about. How crazy is that? Right? If they care that, that much. That's all it was based on. Yeah. Can Hulk Hogan beat Andre the Giant? Right. That's all. Mm-hmm. That simple. The irresistible force meeting the immovable object. In terms of business, again, broad strokes here, folks. This was followed up. With another impressive marker here in the in the height of the boom, which was NBC, but not Saturday night, late night. This mm. time in February of 1988, Friday night, prime time. And the Hulkster has really been oh, trained. Man, if that's all I hear, Hogan this, Hogan that. I'm tired of Hogan. Hulk Hogan really training for his upcoming match with Andre the Giant. They had something special. Basically, the rematch. If you couldn't get the pay-per-view or if you couldn't show up to the Pontiac Silverdome, finally, on national television, the Hulk is going to take on Andre the Giant in a rematch. Prime and time, Who's going to win this time, right? right? Because, and oh, they were very smart to say, hey, Andre the Giant, he, he, there was a controversial, like, almost pin yep. in the match. And maybe Hulk really just got lucky, right? And, like, like that's <laughs> right. how they presented it, right? And to give you an idea, by the way, of how successful the WWF was and how hot they were, the rematch is from a match that was 11 months prior. And yet, the interest in the company did not decrease. The interest in the rematch was such that it drew a 15 rating on NBC. One of the highest ratings, like, ever it's for the wrestling. wrestling thing, yeah. yeah. Uh, 33 million people tuned in to watch this, so... Yes, Ric Flair's popular in the NWA. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. This is the boom, though, that we're talking about. Quinn. Right. Kids could watch this because it's on at eight, I think it was, yeah. right? Families. Hey, what are you watching there, Billy? Uh, I want to see if Hulk could beat the big guy. I've heard stories that it was like event viewing, meaning right. like adults were in on it, too. It, there, at it bars. Was, it was at bars and stuff, like, because like, they didn't have to get the pay-per-view. Suddenly, it was accessible. 
okay, we're going to finally settle this. Did Hulk really beat him? Right. Right. Is like, is this like, can he do it this time? And uh, those of you that know wrestling know the answer. Those that don't, we won't spoil it for you. How about Uh that? (laughs) Well, I won, actually. (laughs) Will you stop? But uh, this is part of the height of the boom. This is around the same time we're getting into 88. The territories are really starting to struggle. A lot of these local ones are going under. They're merging with others. However, Ted Turner, who is a mogul, mm-hmm. mogul, right? We've mm-hmm. I know we talked about moguls versus tycoons before. Yeah. He's in the mogul category. I think he's a mogul. Okay. Yeah. So Ted Turner, he doesn't own like real estate. That would be like a tycoon. That would be a tycoon. Ted Turner's like, I'm gonna buy the uh, Jim Crockett because I like the wrestling. So on its face, this matters. This is this is a smart move. Because wrestling's yeah. extremely popular, right? Yes. And here you have Jim Crockett Promotions. It's the only one of the territories that's it's profitable. Yeah, it, AWA is going sl- slowly down by this point. But Jim Crockett Promotions, in its location, you know, you hear the stories from Ric Flair and some of the people around them. Because of, like, a consequence of the boom, their little bubble, they were selling out houses wherever the hell they yeah, went. They were, they were they making, good. And they were making a lot of money down there. They had too. a great product. Yeah. Many many would say better than the WWFs in terms of in-ring They had enough promos. names and stuff and they were getting like they were getting almost like a ricochet effect from the boom, right? It was like people were like, oh, wrestling. Wrestling. You just yeah, keep sure, wrestling sure. and people people show up, right? Absolutely. This is a sting. You can call me the stinger and if you want to find out what getting stung is all about, tune in to TBS. Oh! World Championship Wrestling, 6.05 Eastern on the Superstation tonight. So Ted Turner buying them was very, very important for later, you know? Right. Mr. McMahon wasn't entitled to a monopoly position in this uh, wrestling game. Let's talk about now, because now we're in the late 80s. You know the baby boom is, you know, when it was post-war, right? Yeah. A lot of babies were born. Oh, good. Look, Captain fucking Obvious returned from the Royal Navy of Shut the Fuck Up. The late 80s seems to be when a lot of wrestling fans were born. Yeah. And I don't mean physically born. I mean when their fandom was born. Right. That Came 89, 90. 87, period. 88. Yeah. yeah. That were born in the early 80s, late 70s. Mm-hmm. They turned on the TV at some point, maybe a Saturday, you know, after yeah. cartoons or maybe the main event here. And they saw Hulk Hogan, and they saw the other colorful characters like so the Macho Man Randy right. Savage, and some of the, George some, the Animal Steel, Rick Rude, like yeah. some of the he- Roddy Piper, the Ultimate Warrior, the Ultimate Warrior, later. and like Bam Bam Bigelow. A lot of these these kind of names to me, they're the recipients of like the extended fame of the boom. They are like right is like especially the Macho Man, right? Because he wasn't like the featured player, but he was considered like the guy that him and Hulk could trade blows and we don't know who will win. They're very similar, right? Listen to this, Hulk Hogan. I hate you. I hate your guts. And that's what's going to be left all over the mat after WrestleMania 5. I'm glad you mentioned that because while we're here, uh, Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage had a storied feud prior to the boom, like at the outside of the boom, I should say, in 85, in 86. But there was a long storyline, a year-long storyline, where Randy Savage actually was the champion for a while in 88. Right. In 89. And to his credit, business didn't drop off too much. It did drop off, but not too much. Right. So he was considered credible. Very credible. Right. So he has a match where he's defending the title, and now he's a bad guy. After another main event special in February of 89, which also did a good rating. I think it was 11 rating. Or so it was very high. 20 million people. But again, this is part of the why 
the boom really like helped elevate other people besides Hulk Hogan, right? Oh, yeah. Right, and Randy Savage is another name that a lot of people to this day still know who that is. He did the Slim Jim commercials right. for how many years, too? So anyway, they have a match at WrestleMania 5, and for 10 years, that was the most purchased pay-per-view. It was over three-quarters of a million people bought that pay-per-view. Is that was their next mega match besides Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan. It was, it it was. Can, Hulk Hogan versus the Macho Man. Who can win? Exactly. Three-quarters of a million People bought the pay-per-view, let alone, again, closed circuit and all that. The Mega Power! Explode! Here at WrestleMania 5! 1989, that is, in my mind, when I think of, like, when the fuck... (laughs) Pardon the language, but when the fuck was this as good as it ever got in terms of the zeitgeist? Mm Mm-hmm. I think it's 89, man. They were making the most money. It's the, like, it Mount worked. Everest. It's, like, the peak, the, the top peak, right? I, I think it was. Because, see, while the boom was going on, what's interesting about wrestling is it still was, like, an evolving product. Yes. Even while it was, like, super popular. And by 89, like, all the production catches up. All the like, oh it, my all, God, yeah. it's like super glossy from, like, a television standpoint. Yeah. Like, it's super glossy, like incredibly high production value product and everyone was colorful yeah Yeah, every every single character had their own theme music their action figure costume a distinctive look the way they talked they had a are they a everyone knew who was a good guy who was a bad guy right who disliked who everyone knew like these guys are the tag team champions and that guy's the intercontinental yeah. champion and that guy's the world champion and, like everyone knew who the hell who was the managers every Bobby Heenan. like every single aspect inside and out was now like known to the mainstream it was kind of like a universe of some kind. Yeah, it was like its own... Ex- it was. It was like its own extended universe. Because the boom now had lasted like five years, yeah. people knew like the history of these characters and who they had feuded with. And then like if they wanted to do things like, now this guy who was once a bad guy tag teams with this guy who's a good guy. It's yep. like, wow, they're combining forces and like we know that both them are like super powerful yeah. like wrestlers, right? Right. Or you've got, you know, these colorful uh, characters like the million dollar man, the guy right. with a snake, a guy with a board, uh-huh. guys with spikes, demolition, right? Uh-huh. You've got a guy dressed like a cop. Mm-hmm. Like just colorful. Yes. Like I, I'm thinking about when I was used to play with my, my Ninja Turtle figures, right? And that's all merchandising off the cartoon. I knew these are the good guys. These are the bad guys, right? It's the same concept. That's like how wrestling became. Suddenly the characters could be like shifted in different ways and stuff. And people understood why it mattered. Absolutely. December 13th at 7.30 p.m. The main event for the championship. Golden Fighters, Neil Cage, Hulk Hogan defends against the Macho King, Randy Savage. Other matches, Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase beats Jake the Snake Roberts, and Ravishing Rick Rude collides with Rowdy Roddy Piper. Their syndicated TV was doing well during this period of time. Their cable TV with primetime wrestling uh, being the f- the, at the forefront, that was doing really well. Well, you don't want the brain to sign one then, do you? Nice pair of buns I signed was a stripper Would you and kitty litter. Stop, that's not necessary. They operated four pay-per-views a year. They all did well during this boom period. They were running sold-out arenas. They were running the Garden. They were running Boston Garden, Philadelphia Spectrum, all the major arenas. They were running the Rosemont Horizon. They were running three, sometimes even four cards a day. Yeah. Think about the depth that they had during that period of time. Think about the money. And the money. Right. They could draw people, even in their 
B2C market, you know, in Erie PA or wherever. Obviously, when you're only one company, you can only have so many wrestlers, right? And they had a lot of wrestlers, they lot but of wrestlers. They, they were stretching them thin across the country. Oh, those cards are probably terrible. Like yeah. those, those C shows. Just maximize, but um, they're, they're just maximizing profits because Absolutely. It, it didn't matter. If the the best guy there is only the junkyard dog, right, Jim right? Duggan or, or, or Jim somebody. Duggan, right? Yep. It's like nobody cares because it's like I know that guy; he's on TV. I have his action figure. Yeah, exactly. Think about that. Mm-hmm. I have his toy. Yeah. I have his shirt. It doesn't matter. Hey, if the only guy we get is Roddy Roddy Piper, and right. everybody is a loser, fine. Like, who cares? I know Roddy Piper, and they they moved into video games with Nintendo, you know, and things like that. Me waste the Macho Man with the claims WrestleMania for the Nintendo Entertainment System. A leg drop, an elbow smash, a body slam. WWF WrestleMania from a claim. Ooh yeah, I want a rematch. Here's the one thing, for, as a wrestling fan, Quinn, I'm going to ask you a question here for the benefit of the audience. Uh, you know, it's WWF's style is, especially during this time, is poo pooed for being cartoony, kid like. Not nuanced, not you know as gritty or hard hitting mm-hmm. as maybe uh, Jim Crockett Promotions, WCW. Does it matter? It doesn't because here <laughs> here's the thing that they were very smart about during this time period. Yep, is they were not after longtime fans. They were after getting new fans. They were after acquiring new fans. Bingo. The wrestling was secondary to like, but will the characters attract new people? Yeah. That was it. That was all that mattered. Can we so, make money off a t-shirt with so this character? If there's a kid somewhere who likes Jake the Snake, kid somewhere that likes the Macho Man or even Demolition or whatever, yep. like it doesn't matter how good they wrestle. It's just like the look and the like, how they appeal to a certain type of kid or even a, maybe a young adult. Yeah, sure. Right? Oh, there were tons of adult wrestling fans too. Right. Yeah, I tend to agree with you there. Listen, sure, if you want to get very... Um, granular about wrestling and maybe what would make it good or not or whatever yeah this is very broad strokes very cartoony and that's why it was so popular i mean and really the hulk hogan you know we opened the show i was saying i knew who hulk hogan was before i was born right (laughs) once i came of age i mean Mm -hmm. of cognizance but hulk hogan was a huge deal people loved hulk hogan Mm -hmm. they really did the character you know he did the Make-A-Wish. I mean, I, I don't think it was until John Cena that anybody did more wrestling-wise than yeah. Hulk Hogan. No, Hulk Hogan became like a national... like He was like a Babe Ruth or like a Wayne Gretzky. Or Wayne Newton, one of them. Michael Jordan. Yeah, like Michael he was, Bolton. He was wrestling's version of like the, the best the best star around, right? The greatest professional athlete in the world today, yeah. as Gorilla Monsoon would say. He would never say the greatest professional wrestler. No, in the athlete. World. Yeah. Now, at some point, you'd figure this would have to dry up, right? And it did. Uh, so, with now, the- at the time, it didn't seem like it would because no. oh, we can just make new wrestlers, right? Right. Because <laughs> new guys came along every year. There was sure. new, re- and we can make new T-shirts for them. Yep. Not that this is why, because it isn't. But Hulk Hogan uh, eventually would pass the title along to a, a, another wildly popular wrestler known as the Ultimate Warrior at WrestleMania Six, which is considered like. The end of the peak in, it is. in wrestling terms. The end. Uh, we're calling this episode the the eighties wrestling boom. I did that intentionally to be clear about what the subject matter was. But a lot of people call this the golden era of the WWF. Right. That's right. really the other term for it is the of golden wrestling era. in yeah, general. The golden era of wrestling, and it's generally agreed upon. It was around WrestleMania six in April of nineteen ninety. It's not because of the Ultimate Warrior. Let's be real here. It's it's not because of him, but he wasn't Hulk Hogan. 
it's one of those things where it's like there's only so many times Hulk can lose the title and come back and it's going to be as big of a deal. Yeah. Right. right. And, and this seemed to be the last, like, the final time he could really lose it and it would matter. Yeah. Right. And it did matter when he lost it. I mean, that was right. a, it's a big moment in wrestling. I don't think it was like on, you know, ABC World News tonight, but you know what I mean. But they, they tried to promote it as essentially like, you know, we've been through all these stars that have tried to beat the Hulkster and the ultimate where he's the new generation. Like, he's going to take us to the next time period, right? Right, like years. The way Hogan, because yeah. you got to remember, Hogan came in in 84, and other than a couple of brief interruptions, was the champion until 1990. And I got to say, at the time, the Ultimate Warrior looked very obviously yeah. like the next the next big thing, yeah. right? For Hulk Hogan, in this normal world, physically, none of us can live forever. But the places you have taken the Hulkamaniacs, the ideas and the beliefs you have given them, can live through me, Hulk Hogan. But the thing is, I think timing was against him. I think that they didn't have the confidence in him, and that's fine. But regardless of the Ultimate Warrior or not, even when Hulk Hogan did ultimately come back and win the title again in 1991, mm-hmm. buy rates were dropping on their pay-per-views, right? Yep. Six did not even do as well as five, for the record. Right. Savage and Hogan did better than Warrior Hogan. Attendance started to drop off. They had to consolidate. They couldn't be running three all the time anymore. Well, also, I mean, six years or whatever, the kids had grown up that had grown up with the Hulkster. See, that's the biggest thing, Quinn. A lot of people pinpoint the Ultimate Warrior. A lot of people say because there were steroid scandals. While Hulk Hogan refused to talk with us, he has never been charged with cocaine abuse. These three former wrestlers say he was not only the biggest star in the WWF but also the biggest steroid user. But six years, six years. And even, even if, even if let's say you got into wrestling in 86 by 91, five years, if you got into wrestling when you're eight, now you're a teenager. You probably aren't watching the same other programming. Right. From it's eight se- to 13. It seems childish. Yeah, right. you grow out of it. And and that was the consequence of associating yourself with children, right? Was yeah. that they grow up and they the do. stars of that time period become passe. And then new kids come along and they view the Hulkster as old. Yeah. And the Macho Man as old. As old. That, that's old. Where Where's the new heroes, right? right? So the scandals that there were, there were sex scandals and you can watch Donahue episodes about that yeah. and all this shit. And everybody all these years has been scared to step forward. Now come forward a number of people to say, because I wouldn't have sex with another guy in the game, I couldn't get promoted. There was just so much scandal yeah. and drugs and, you know, cocaine and steroids and lots of money. When you have when you have a lot of people who are all making a lot of money, a lot of weird shit happens. A lot of weird shit. Professional wrestlers have been slammed for many things over the years, with one of the most prominent accusations being that a number of them use steroids to enhance their bodies and build up their muscles beyond normal limits. The latest to be accused has been Hulk Hogan in a trial over a doctor's distribution of steroids. WWF, you know, really took a, a public relations hit starting in 1991, full, like full yeah. with all the stuff that was going on. Yeah, so much money flying around. Yeah. So, and, and, and what does that open up access to? A lot of vices, a lot of stuff. The crack? Yeah. With Jim Duggan? Yeah. Perhaps it's a cause, perhaps it's an effect, but in April of 91, the WWF aired its final 
for a long time. Saturday Night's Main Event on NBC. It was still going, but by 1990, they were not they were not doing the type of numbers that they the were. The writing was on the wall to the mainstream media. Yeah. It was like, okay, this train has pa- is past the station. It's I, over. I really think so. Yeah. The Saturday Night's Main Event would air on Fox twice in 1992, and they're both, it's like very minor looking. Mm-hmm. And everything started to, be, to look more minor and to feel more minor. And even if you're a wrestling or, fan. Or it looked like, hey, I think I've seen this before. Yeah. Like just this different people. And even as a wrestling fan, there's some great stuff to be mined during the decline period, the start of the decline, which is probably 92, right? Well, the decline is just as interesting as the rise. It is. is. What, what what makes, sets wrestling apart as a subject. The griminess of, like, the decay of this boom is, is so interesting. It is, and it's multifaceted. What do you think, Quinn, the primary reason... That everything started dropping off in 1991. Was it scandals? Was it steroids? Was it Hogan? Was it Warrior? Or was it just time? I think it was just time. I think so, too. It was just time. And not that they they ever really had a chance. But I do think there was no way for them to adapt on the fly. They had to fall to go figure out what the new generation of people wanted. I think right? you're right. And they did. We know that. I think you're right because how long can you do the same formula for everything? Right. It's- they had they had never experienced being at this height. So there was no blueprint for how to like maintain it. There was no emergency recovery plan basically. Right. There was right? no there there was nothing set in stone of like how do we pass the torch at this level? Does that make sense? Yes. There, there was no, there was no way to know how to do that, and that's what makes the early '90s and the grunginess of it, oh my and God, the, it like grungy. ECWs of the world, and, yeah. and all that, so fascinating because it's everyone trying to figure out the next best thing. Absolutely, both promotions, uh, WCW and WWF, you know, we're mm-hmm. both trying to do that. I think you're right. I think I agree with you um, that it was just time, especially when your primary demographic as kids primary even if they start watching when they're 12 five years later i'm driving i'm, I'm going yeah. out i don't have time to stay up right and watch got, wrestling on Saturday Night's main event or anything i got a girlfriend I don't yeah. know, she doesn't like this i'm yeah. you know what you know what i'm saying though right <laughs> well that's another thing they had to learn the hard way it was like hey maybe you should appeal to some female fans yeah. because like when the males get older suddenly they got a girlfriend it's like i don't want to watch that crap <laughs> <laughs> right? that's true though uh and the other thing you got to give them credit. I mean, that long of a run, what would you define the real true golden? 87 to 90 or do you, or do you give it 85 I to give 90? It, I give it 84 because it, oh, it wow. only because all that stuff that build up to Cindy Lauper and all that crap, yeah. like it was really picking up steam. Okay. There's like two halves to the gold, that whole era to me. There's the like MTV and the like rock the, and wrestling, the, 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 the like grungy ascent right. to the top. Right. And then there's like that peak glossy period, but it's all part of the same period. All the same soup. But I think 84 definitely has a part of it. We've seen those shows. I've never so. seen wrestling yeah, in I've my never life. Seen, but, but we have. Or talked about it. But it, we, we've seen that what they were doing then. We saw how it all connects and why, obviously, they were gaining fans. Yeah. During these times, even those days in the 84s. So you think that most of the people that turned it off in the early 90s did so because they either got tired of it, grew up, it just became old hat to them. Yeah. I think so. They were ready. They were like, we want something just as good as Hulk Hogan, but it has to be different. Yeah. You know what? That's what they wanted. I would like to hear from the fans out there that started watching wrestling during this period of time in the 80s and then 
stopped watching for any length of time, whether it was for a year or whether it was forever, right? Or until the next notable time period, which is considered 1996 or whatever. I want to hear from you guys. I want to hear your stories, just fandom stories. How did you start watching? Why did you stop if you stopped? I know many of our fans still do watch wrestling. What were your experiences during this time? Yeah, who was your favorite? An emerging emerging thing in general. Like It was like not... It was not popular prior to this. Right. And by the way, I know that a lot of our fans also watched other wrestling that Mm -hmm. wasn't WWF. So I'm not saying that didn't happen. I'm saying not as many people grew up watching other wrestling. A lot of people grew up with this. Yes. A lot of people grew up with this as their intro to wrestling. Um, But as far as the 80s, I mean, listen, we've alluded to it. It would continue to have its up and downs after 1991, 92, where we're talking. Mm -hmm. But this specific period, this late 80s period is special for a lot of people that were growing up, coming of age, even, even for guys like us that were born after the fact. Looking back at it, isn't is this not like a unique, fun, exciting, silly period of wrestling? Like, yeah, I love this period. Well, it's, it's, it's to me, it's it's not even just a wrestling thing. It's a period of pop culture because yeah. it's just part of it. It's one of those things that is just part of the eighties. That's the highs they hit. This isn't just a wrestling thing anymore. This is just a like. This is just something that's also on with, you know, all the TV shows and sporting events of the of the era. You're absolutely right, because uh, in that fast-growing world of the 80s, and it was, right? All pop culture in the 80s, right? Yeah, and wrestling really did slide in nicely with every other trend, every other fad, every other TV show, every other flavor of the week or whatever. It did. Yeah. yeah. It just was another option. It was something that you could watch. Not to mention the consumption of media became much easier in the 80s with, with the tapes. technology and yeah. you know, VHS. and Which they also killed it with. That yeah. market, they did. Yeah. They mm-hmm. did great in the VHS market, but you know, wrestling still has its detractors. They remain, but you know what remains even more so: the fond memories of yesteryear yes. uh, and the '80s wrestling boom. And folks, we want to hear your stories. We want to hear how you became a wrestling fan, and uh, we want to hear if you stopped watching. Why? Really, we just want to hear from you. Why don't you join our group on Facebook, and why don't you uh, follow us on Twitter at AWM Podcast? But Quinn. I would have to say that the 80s wrestling boom is truly an acid wash memory. Do you agree? I would. I would, too. So thank you guys so much for being with us here. We will be back next week for something completely different. And we want to thank you for being with us for almost one year now. 50 episodes. We are so thankful that you like what we do. And if you do, please leave us a review. But one way or another, this is Joe Marana and Michael Quinn. We'll see you next time for more acid wash memories. See ya. Like what you heard? Be sure to leave a review and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We will see you next week. When you stop, stop, stop.